You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. I need extra coffee today. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. I got my Holy Spirit hanky today because... It's warm in here. I don't know about you guys, but... All right, see? I'm manopausal. I don't know if that's a thing. People say it is. Mark chapter 12. And we started this last week, but we kind of had this move of the Spirit in the middle of the service, so we, we made it about halfway, and honestly, it continued into the children's classes. It was really powerful time last week and you know this sort of reinforces something that I've been driving home over the last year or so that you know part of training up a child the way that they should go so that when they're old they will not depart from it means that sometimes we have to bring them into spaces that maybe they don't feel like going to or being a part of in the moment. And I, I use myself as an example all the time. You know, growing up, especially, well, I was going to say especially my teen years, but even before that, man, I, I didn't really feel like getting up and go to church on a Sunday morning. I didn't feel like going to, and we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night people. Like we were just, if the, my parents would always say, my mom mostly would say, if the doors are open, we're going to be there. So we were always there. And we went to a Baptist church, you know, so, uh, but we would sneak off to the charismatic revival meetings, which I didn't like so much, especially when I was little because I couldn't sleep through the services. The Sunday night Baptist service, I typically would fall asleep and I had a little bit of a snoring issue when I was a kid. So we would be on the, like the fourth row, the fourth pew, and uh, I'd be laying down and snoring while the pastor's giving his message. But I guess people were okay with it. I don't know. I was asleep. I don't even know what the reaction was. So... Uh, but in all of my years from, from being small to, to graduating high school, I probably had about three significant power encounters as a kid in corporate gatherings for worship. Now, that seems really significant, but, you know, if you look at the percentage, like you look, you know, every year there's 52 weeks in the year, plus, you know, in my family, we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and then we went to conferences, and we went to other, you know, meetings, and charismatic renewal, revival meetings in the 70s and the 80s. We did all of these things, and all of these meetings, I can remember three of these power encounters that I had that shaped my life forever, because my, my parents were willing to fight through my attitude. And honestly, it wasn't a fight. I had a healthy, maybe fear, awe, and respect of my dad. He, he used a lot less words than my mom did, but he had the look. Sometimes all you need is a look. I mean, you don't have to say a thing. Sometimes God looks at, looks at us that way. You know, we're waiting for God to speak, and he's like, do what I told you to do last month. And then we'll talk about now. So I, I just want to encourage you as parents that it's not always easy, but the fruit is unmistakable. I am here now because when I was young, I was trained up in the way that I should go, even though I wasn't walking in the way that I should go constantly at that time. So I want to encourage you. And last week we had just a significant impact. There was a significant release on our kids last week. And the, here's the thing. And, and I don't say this to heap condemnation. It's not because I don't, I honestly, I don't keep track. I don't know who's here what week. I'm in autopilot. I, I, my brain gets fuzzy when I'm up here doing stuff. I don't, a lot of times people think I'm talking right to them. I don't even know. I don't even know who's here right now. I don't even know if I'm here right now. But when, this is what I learned in revival in the 90s. Because I learned to be first man in, last man out at these meetings, like daily meetings for years because I was so hungry. Because I recognized that if I miss that moment, I won't ever get that moment back again. God might give me another moment, but it won't be that moment. And I understood the importance. And not only that, like we did altar calls, man. You would go up and get prayed over like three, four, five times. And sometimes you had to kind of fight through some people just to get to the front. 
Because some people are hungrier than you are. I'm not saying like, let's be selfish and all that. I'm just saying that sometimes you got to do what you got to do. When moments like that, encounters like that pass, you may never get that encounter again. Now, God will be gracious. He'll give you something else. But again, consider from the time that I was a baby until I graduated high school, I remember three power encounters out of hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of meetings, and they all built on each other. And that is why I'm standing here today. It's not because I went to seminary, because I didn't. I did finally get a couple degrees, you know, just so people would feel more secure. <laughs> Got the pieces of paper, it's nice. It's because I came heart to heart and face to face with the living God. And when that happens, it breaks every intellectual mindset. We're so, you know, we can get so concerned about all of the issues going on in the culture today, but the reality is when you have a power encounter with God, it breaks every intellectual mindset, every intellectual stronghold that sets itself against the standard of God in his word because power transcends the intellect. When he moves and does things that are beyond our ability to comprehend, that's why he even says, you know, I'll give you a piece that is beyond comprehension. And I always say it like this, he will give you a piece that is beyond the intellectual capacity to comprehend, a piece that doesn't make sense in the moment so that people will look at you in hard times and say, what is wrong with you? And you can say, well, it's not what's wrong with me. It's what's right with me, what's righteous with me. It's not because, you know, I'm a, you know I, I changed all my behaviors. It's because I had an encounter with God, and now my faith is in him, and he has counted that as righteousness unto me, and now I'm transformed. It's a peace that is beyond the intellect. God is always looking to move beyond the intellect because the intellect is what got us into this problem in the first place. And I'm not, having said that, that's part of the message, but... So I won't go there, but here's the issue. We hid, we hid behind the tree of the knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, and that's what got humanity in trouble in the first place because we were really designed to live from the tree of life. And I have a theory. It's not biblical. You can't really make a case for it, but I have this theory that had we adhered to the tree of life and left the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone, that God himself would have mentored, would have taught, would have imparted the wisdom to discern between good and evil in a legal fashion. But true to humanity, we sidestepped the ways of God to access his power illegally. And that's actually akin to witchcraft. He's able to do above and beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. So it's time for us to raise our asker and our thinker. So we've been talking about mission, vision, values, what it is that we do here. We'll talk a little bit about this in our Bridge Connect. We have a Bridge Fam 101 class, which is our membership class here that will run uh, fairly soon. But it's, it starts with this. Our, our first word in our mission is encounter. It just makes sense. And it doesn't, it doesn't always make sense if you don't understand what it is. But once you've had an encounter with God, it makes perfect sense because everything changes. You know, when God spoke to Abram when he was 99 years old, he said, walk before me and be blameless. What was he saying? He said, come into an encounter with me and watch my nature overtake your nature so that when you go, you will never be the same again because you are walking toward the skin of my face. Literally, that's what the words before me mean in Hebrew. It's the skin of the face. So encounter, our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the power of Holy Spirit, and to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we meet until people, communities, cities, regions, and nations enjoy and reflect the fruit of the Spirit, beginning with love, joy, and peace. Why do I highlight love, joy, and peace? Because you could beat yourself into a condition where you're patient but lack love, joy, and peace. You can demonstrate patience, but not have love. You, you have to have an encounter with God so that the first foretaste of the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow in your life with love, joy, and peace so that all of the other attributes then make sense because you're living from a place of love, not from a place of works. 
You're living from a place of security in him and not a place of, oh, I'm just trying to gain his favor. If I work hard enough, if I do all of the right things, then maybe I'll make it. No, he made it already so that all you have to do is step into him. But let me say this, salvation is free, but overcoming is an option. We're called to be overcomers, but a lot of people just stop at salvation. Overcoming is a violent process. It's a forceful process. An older uh, edition of the NIV used to quote this, this passage this way, that uh, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. There is an aggression, a holy aggression that we are called to engage with so that we can be the agents of transformation on the world. Years ago, during one of those revival meetings, I was, uh, you know, I was a worship leader and I was playing during uh, ministry time, which was one of my favorite things to do because then you didn't have a song list. You could just sing whatever and people were getting rocked in the spirit. It was great. But I had a, a vision and in the vision, there were these whirling, twirling forces on either side of me. And then in the middle of it, there was this fiery brand with the, the, the word fury that reached out and struck the heart of a man. And it branded the word fury upon his heart. And, uh, you know, there was a spontaneous song that I sang out of that, you know, there's a fury in my heart when I seek the living God. And that weirded people out because we have this idea of fury that means, you know, angry. But when you look at Webster's Dictionary, a secondary uh, um, definition of the word fury, because even I questioned it. I was like, why is the word fury? It means jubilant exaltation. And there's this, even this idea of this whirling, jubilant ex exaltation to, to exalt, to celebrate furiously. And so when you encounter God, there's this fire that comes into your heart that moves you into this, this holy, aggressive state that approaches the throne of grace boldly, but also does war on the earth as we declare with Jesus, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm gonna keep saying that till you, it becomes wallpaper to your soul and then I'll have to say it, to it in a different way because it's not, Jesus isn't asking God for something. Jesus sees what the Father's doing. He comes into agreement and then he makes it a declaration. The Greek language there is declarative. It's not permissive. He's not asking a question. He's not begging God for his kingdom to come. He's seeing that, oh, the kingdom is coming. There is already this conduit. There's this open portal over our lives by which we can now access heaven and say, kingdom come, your will is fully manifesting in on earth as it is in heaven. We, that's why he told his disciples, the 70, to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because everywhere that we go, we have this potential to access a portal of heaven that brings heavenly realities on earth. And it's not always a flash and a bang. Sometimes it's just the oil of the spirit that goes from your heart to someone else's heart and they begin to weep because they feel love, joy, and peace for the very first time. That's the imprint of the Father's heart. That's what you carry. You're in the import-export business, but you've got nothing to release unless you receive. And so Mark 12, 30 says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is irrespective of your personality type. You can go take 25 different personality types. I don't even know what the, I, I just remember what the Enneagram one is. I know there's other ones and you could be INFJ or TDNT. I don't know what they all are. I forget what I am. I know I'm an I. I begin with the I with that particular test introverted, whatever. It doesn't matter. But sometimes we stop at one of those points based on our personality type because it's our comfort level. So some people have no problem with loving the Lord their God with all their heart. And you see those people even during worship. You know who you are and you all know who they are because they're moving around, they're dancing, they're they're having a good time, there's flags, you know, flying, all that kind of stuff. We, we can see that. But sometimes people who love the Lord, I'm not saying here because we're all well-balanced, holy people and mature, but sometimes people will love the Lord, their God with all of their heart, but they won't love him with all of their mind. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the, the I think one of the issues with these revival days back in, in the 90s was that people were so cerebral when God began to move on, you know, in a corporate environment and bodies started flying that people couldn't shut, they, they were just looking at what they were seeing. And I was one of those guys. I remember the first time I went to a meeting 
Spirit of God hit some lady in front of me and she started doing this thing. I, I, I don't know. I, it hurt my back just looking at it. And I was like 25. I was a healthy man. And I was looking, uh, you know, I was watching this thing, and I, but I could, I, I had a hard time engaging with whatever God might have been doing because I'm looking at this one thing. So I had a hard time loving the Lord my God with all of my heart, even though I'm a worship leader, although I, I, I was learning to be a worship leader at the time. I had been a song leader. There's a difference between someone who can get up in front of people and execute songs and someone who actually stands before heaven and pulls people into that experience. And so I, I had a hard time shutting my brain out. So, so what happened was during these ministry times, a lot of time the leader would say, you need to shut, you gotta shut your brain down. You gotta shut your mind down and just hone in on him. And I understand what they were doing, but the, but the, the downside of that instruction was on the other side of this re revival movement we had people that didn't know how to apply themselves even to the scriptures so we're having all of these experiences these encounters these you know these prophetic giftings are rising up but we don't have a foundation in the word through which we can filter our experiences because not every experience that you have is from god as a matter of fact, I would propose to you or submit to you today that God will allow experiences to come to you. He will even allow what you feel like is a prophetic word to rise up within you that is not from his voice to test your discernment. And not only to test your discernment, but to test the discernment of the church. And it doesn't make you a false prophet. It just, it just shows you that you're still in the proving ground of discipleship. And honestly, we never leave that. Thank God for the cross, because in the Old Testament, if you missed a prophecy real bad, you might get stoned. Now we just think you're weird. Choose your poison. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so when we talk about what our vision is, we have to have banks to the ri river through which we can make decisions. Why do we have values? Why do corporations have values? Why do churches and other, you know, uh, nonprofits, NGOs have values? The reason why we have values is not so that we can put something cool on our website or on a poster or hang them on the wall. The design is so that you have a flow through or a process through which you can make decisions. If you're a leader here, every time you make a decision, every time you have an interaction with another person, particularly in your capacity as a leader, it has to pass those four tests. And they're ranked in nature. Some, you know, most organizations will just have values. This is what we value. We have a ranked value system that flows from the bottom up so that the value above it cannot be violated by the value below it. And so we value excellence. We've talked about that. What does excellence mean? It doesn't mean that we're trying to beat everybody up so that we look cool to the world and everything is perfect. Excellence means that we don't want you to be at the same stage of growth next year as you are right now. We want you to be in the constant process of excelling. And this is biblical. This is what Paul is teaching to Corinth when he says he is going to come and transform you from one level of glory to another level of glory. It's this process of excelling in him. It's not, I mean, we do want to do things excellently, right? We want to have a worship team in particular that's excellent. If you're tone deaf, we're not going to give you a mic and have you lead worship. And we all appreciate that except the person who's tone deaf we want that but the idea is not so that you know we have the most banging you know rock band playing music on a sunday morning the point is we want everyone to excel in greater measure moment to moment day to day to week to week in their particular gifting and calling in christ jesus does that make sense and so now this is where things get confused sometimes. We have this idea of community and what does this mean in this context? We're talking about the greater community. You know, people, especially people who are evangelistically bent. You know, we had uh, our Jaywalk meeting last week, and there it was an amazing meeting. I heard, I heard some great testimonies from that meeting last week. And all, what does that mean? It's just learning to walk like Jesus walked. And how do we do that? It means that we have to go out into the community. So people who are evangelistically bent are always like, we got to get outside of the walls. Yes, we do need to get outside of the walls, but we also still have to come inside the walls. It's just the way that it works. That's a whole other teaching we're not going to do today. But that's so, just so you know, we're talking about the greater community. 
So we support things like a place to turn that provides food and clothing. You know, do we uh, hold, hold every belief in common? No, but we have the mission that we share. So we support them. We've supported Natick Service Council in the past. We're engaging with Daniel's table in Framingham. We're engaging with Hope for Worcester because these are things that we're just called to do. And it's one of the, just one of the pathways that we can get out into the community with our bodies, you know, serving, physically serving people, but also with our finances. We could have our own food pantry. We used to have a food pantry, but I was like, you know what? Our food pantry is, we're, we're doing okay for what we have, but let's look into the region and find people who are doing it really well and support them. And, you know, I don't have to worry about every little thing that they believe, you know, whether it be spiritually or whether it be politically or whatever that is. I don't have to worry about that. What my job is, is to feed the hungry. That's all it is. It's not rocket science. We can get hung up on so many things. And we, you know, sometimes the propensity is that we've got to put our, our logo on everything. No, I, I just want to put the imprint of the Father's heart on everything and trust that he's going to go grow and build the church according to his will. And so that's what we mean by community. And then we have this idea of family. Now, I know when we think family, that we're, we, we automatically think about nuclear family, which is just your own particular unit. But I'm really talking about how your families fit into the family of God. Because I grew up this way, and I understand the importance of it. And I, my parents understood the sacrifice that was necessary to raise a family inside the context of kingdom family. You will not find anywhere in scripture where our individual families are elevated above kingdom family. You're just not gonna find it. I know we like it. We make decisions all of the time in the name of family. We have elevated certain aspects of activity to almost idle status where they hold a bigger space in our lives than the kingdom. I'm the greater we, nobody here, I mean, I'm just saying that culturally that's what's happening. And it's designed that way. I was at a meeting in, in December where uh, one of the heads of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes was speaking, and he was speaking to this very issue of the, the idle status that athletics has taken even in the lives of Christian families so that they're being pulled away from church, they're being pulled away from gathering because they're in activity after activity after activity after activity, and families are worn out with activity to the point where they can no longer engage, and he said, I want to break that thing. Amen. You know, when I was a kid, there was never any sports things on Sundays. Well, I mean, there wasn't. Why do you think there is now? Why do you think there is? Do you think it's just out of convenience? Do you think that it, no. There's a reason and there is an agenda. All across scripture, we're called to make every effort to preserve the unity of the brethren and the enemy is at work to put a, a dagger in the heart of unity. And you cannot have unity without proximity and intimacy. So we value kingdom family and the value of bringing and raising our families in the midst of it. When we started here, just as an example, God called us to come here. And I told this story, I'm not going to reiterate the whole story, but we didn't really want to be here. And we weren't 100% on the same page. A lot of times people will say, well, your spouse has to be at peace before you make a move. No, not always. Because there's some things that I'm never at peace with, like, for example, buying a home. The home we live in now, Deb said, this is the home that we're supposed to have. Did I have peace about it? No. The day that we signed and closed, I was nauseous, but I also got a stomach bug. So, I mean, I was nauseous because I saw what the, the mortgage payment was gonna be, but then I also got a stomach bug and I was in a fetal position up against the radiator for the next eight hours in our new home. Matthias and Amy came over. They was like, hey, let's celebrate the new home. I'm like in the bathroom just... Everything that was in me was coming on the outside of me. I was in a different kind of import-export business at that moment. So for things like that, Debbie will have a piece in a direction that I don't have, and I did not have it, but I recognized what was on her, so I was willing to go with it. When we came here, I had a modicum of peace, although I enjoyed hiding and not having to serve every Sunday morning like I had my entire adult life. 
But I, uh, what I said is God might be in it. Let's just step and see. And she was willing to say yes, and we came. We don't always have this grand peace, but here's the thing. So when we started here, now services then were about, you know, we started at 10-ish, if we could get out of the prayer room. And then we would go till about two before ministry time started. And then after ministry time, we had prophetic and dream teams every week. So we would get here with our infant at about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and we wouldn't leave till three. By then, well, Riley wasn't pulling his hair out because he didn't have much at the time, but, but Debbie was about ready to pull her hair out. He's screaming, she's crying, not every week, you know, but there were these weeks where, and it was hard and it was a sacrifice and he missed nap times. But guess what? He turned out pretty okay, even though he missed some nap times because the value is obedience. The value is raising up my child in the way that he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. I, didn't, I wasn't overly concerned with how he was behaving at three, at four. I'm getting a little bit more concerned at 16. But, but back then I wasn't overly concerned because my vision for him wasn't who he was in the moment. It's who the, this man of God will be when he's 30. And we had conferences and events where we would get here in the morning and then not leave till midnight. And you know what we did? We brought a little pack and play and we put it in my office at the time and we put him in that and we locked the door until he was two. And then he figured out how to unlock the door and run back to the kitchen. I don't know if he was finding food. I don't know what was going on, but thank God for mamas in the church that found him during the service. Because we have this value of kingdom family because that's what I see in scripture. Not keeping things separate, not elevating my nucleus over the whole, but doing everything we can do to foster revival, renewal, reformation in the land, to walk in our calling as a family and place our family in the midst of it as an example as to what is possible when you come heart to heart and face to face with God. So when we make decisions, how does this work? You know, for example, we have, you know, organizations that will call with need. More importantly, we'll have uh, people that will call with need. And, and, we don't have phone books anymore, so it's a little bit different, but you used to have people that would just go through the phone book and call the churches until someone gave money. But because we have this value system, it was easy for, it, no matter who answered the phone, to make decisions because we could understand what our resources are. And Galatians 6.10 says this, good, do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. So some people will get offended that we may not sow something into individuals or something to a community organization because of where our resources are currently. But the, spirit, the scripture clearly defines a priority to the household of faith. And so we, there are people that we've kept their cars from being repossessed. We've kept people from being evicted. We put food on tables. We have literally uh, put roofs over the homeless in this house that you will never know about because we protect their dignity while we do it because that's the value system. And so it doesn't matter if you answer the phone, if Greta answers the phone, if Jeremy answers the phone, we understand the flow through and the process through which we can make decisions. And so they don't have to even come to me at, to ask, you know, how should I handle this? They've already got the banks to the river through which that river of decision-making can be made without conferring. That's why we do this ranked value system. Then of course, love is at the, the center of it all. Nothing we do can violate love. No pursuit of excellence, no pursuit of community, family. No, there are no decisions that we can make that violate love. And so last week we talked a little bit about loving, just the attributes of love. God is love. If God is in you, that therefore love is in you. Even if you're not feeling so loving in the moment. There's a space, we're tripartite beings, where, where we have this, these fleshly bodies, we have our soul, which is our mind, will, and our emotions, and we have the spirit, which is wisdom, communion, and conscience. When you say yes to Jesus, he regenerates the spirit, he puts his presence inside your spirit, and God is love, therefore love is in you. It doesn't matter how cranky you are when you wake up in the morning. And you all know I say it almost every week, I'm not a morning person, yet here I am. 
If I had my way, I'd go to bed at like two every night and get up at 10. And sometimes I do, but I'm trying to shift that a little bit. So we are called to love God with all of our heart, our soul, all of our mind and our strength. The, the, the heart here, scripturally, it's the, your innermost being. It's the, you know, even in, in the Greek concept, it was the seat of the intellect. And we kind of went there last week. I'm not going to reiterate that. The soul, again, is your mind, your will, and emotions. In Hebrew, this, the word for soul is nefesh. And I, we, we talk about this even in our rabbi studies a lot. I love this word nefesh because there's so many places, or I mean, there are some places in scripture where the scripture is describing a multitude of people, but they're functioning as one nefesh, as one soul. You see this theme dotted throughout scripture where we have our individuality, yes, but our individuality is only as important as it fits into the plurality and the unity of the body of Christ. And so the, 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 the idea is that we can function as a group, but still function as one, as one soul, one nefesh. I love that concept. So there's this, in this word nefesh, there is this connection between the soul and the blood, the soul and the breath. Why is that significant? When breath and blood leave the body, every form of life is gone. There were even studies done a number of years ago, probably about 15 years ago, maybe more, where they, they had people that were passing away on a scale. And when they went from the state of life to death, they, their bodies literally became lighter. Something intangible left their body that was actually measurable. And so this idea of, of this connection with the soul of the blood and the breath, and when they leave the body, every form of life is gone. It's not some sort of, uh, you know, abstract concept. There's something measurable in this. This is why we need the blood of Jesus and the breath of the spirit to fulfill our purpose. The blood of Jesus invites us, it frees us from the law of sin and death, invites us into an abundant lifestyle where now the spirit can come and bring us that fresh baptism of fire, breathe his life, his breath, his wind into us. And from there, we go from just being in the state of being free from what we, we are to actually walking in who he says that we are now. Does that make sense? So the love of the Father, the blood of Jesus, the wind and the breath, the Ruach, the Spirit who is holy, has granted us the divine power which gives us everything we need for life and godliness according to our knowledge of Him. And so with that aspect of soul, we are called to love God with all of it. But then this, the Scripture highlights the mind. And, you know, I think that He... He's speaking in this manner, particularly to appeal to this Greco-Roman mindset that was pervasive on the earth at that time and began to even invade Hebrew culture. So what is the mind? It's your thoughts, it's your imaginations, it's your ways of thinking, your disposition. What are some of the issues with the mind? Well, poverty begins in the mind. We have this idea that poverty is a circumstance that we live in. No, it's a concept in which we live. I have been in some of the poorest regions on the planet, and I've seen a prosperous people when they come to Christ. Their circumstances are irrelevant to them because they understand they're living an abundant life in Him. They're happy. They're peaceful. They learn how to provide for their needs. They learn that they can till the soil. They can be, they can have a self-sustaining lifestyle. Conversely, some of the most affluent people that I have met, have met globally, I'm talking about some of the richest people in the world are the most impoverished people that I've ever met. They have this orphan mentality where they're so afraid to release that which is in their hands because they're not sure if their hands will ever be filled again. They, it's almost like they live in fear. And so they live in conditions that are less than their station because they have a poverty mentality. And the poverty mentality is one of the most difficult mentalities to break. 
when we, we talk about, you know, I, you know, I've met with life coaches and things like that even, uh, I mean, just to talk about what do you do? Because I'm amazed that you could be a life coach and you can make all this money to coach someone to do life. But it's the mindset that is the most difficult thing to break. Someone who is not successful, getting them to live a successful life within whatever their vocation or whatever their sphere is, the most difficult thing is getting them to believe that they could actually be successful. Entrepreneurs that become successful walk through this mindset where they actually begin to believe that they can. There's a belief factor that begins to tear down the stronghold of poverty thinking. Is there a poverty spirit? I think there probably is a spirit, a, a demonic entity that feeds into the poverty mentality. But there's a mentality, a stronghold, which is a system of logic that's built upon lies that we, begin, that we believe to be true. That's the definition of a stronghold. It's not a demonic entity. You don't cast out a stronghold. You dismantle it brick by brick by brick so that the Lord can establish new ways of thinking in your life that is congruent with the kingdom dynamic on earth. Does that make sense? So poverty begins in the mind, not in your circumstance. As much as we want to say that it's our circumstance, it's in the mind. That's where it's birthed. Sin is birthed in the mind. There are studies that show that even that sickness can be birthed in the mind. The way that we think will compromise our immune system to the point where we become more susceptible to sickness and disease. So I believe so much sickness, darkness, fear, anxiety, and everything that sets itself against the culture of heaven is birthed in the, in the mind. This is why we are called to love with all of our mind and by and through the renewing of our mind, which comes through the washing of the water of the word. That's Romans 12 speaks of renewing the mind. It's Titus 3, I just quoted it ahead of time, that talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are renewed when we turn our face to him, but we are matured when we engage in his word and get that thing in us so that it's accessible in every part of our life. Encounter brings us into the space of possibility, but possibility it, it is realized when we grind out day to day this whole process of what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Second Corinthians 3.18, I already quoted that earlier, but it says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And this leads us to our final piece today, which is strength. I like that idea of strength. I like this idea of loving the Lord my God with all of my strength because my personality can be a little bit boisterous that way. I'm 50 years old now, so I'm not as demonstrative as I used to be. Most of you have never seen me lead worship. You know, Jeremy saw me lead worship when, when I was a bit younger and he was, you know, basically a kid. And I don't know, he was somewhere between fascinated and horrified. I think it's pretty fascinating because I was a physical worshiper. It was a word of the Lord that, the, that God gave me when I was in my mid-20s in a revival service because I was sitting down, being nice and churchy, playing keys on the worship team. And the Lord came to me and he said, when you played for me or when you played for yourself, you did this. And he showed me a picture for when I was playing for different bands and doing different things in the studio, whatever the case may be, or playing in a club. And I was physical and I was rocking and because that's what you did. But for some reason, I had this construct in my mind that when you came to church, you just had to kind of go like this. And he said, but this is the sacrifice that I get? That's all he said. But the rebuke was clear. And so I got rid of the keyboard stand that allowed me to sit and just kind of tink, you know, twinkle the ivories. But you know, it's not all he said. I remember this. He followed it up and he said, I want you to physically demonstrate the worship that you are bringing to me spiritually. And so for me, it was, it was not a question. It said, okay, I'm going to do this. I understand what this means. I'm going to love the Lord, my God, with all of my strength as well. But it was a different process for people to go through. Because, you know, we get used to something that is, you know, very controlled and nice and what we think is decently and in order, you know, it, it, but, and now you've got this guy who's just getting up. And I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I broke keys off my keyboard. I used to, even when I came here, I used to have a guy that was on tap. I would call him up and he would come in and he would start replacing keys on my keyboard because I broke them all the time. I bled on my keyboard. A lot of people here have seen that. I, I still have blood inside my acoustic guitar from a conference I did in Puerto Rico because I dropped all my picks and I was like, well, I'm not gonna take the time to bend down and, and, and pick one up. So I'm just gonna use my thumb. And I literally tore the tip of my fingers off. I didn't care. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not saying, but I, I didn't even know that I was bleeding until they put a camera on it and they had a big monitor because they broadcasted and there was a big monitor and they had zoomed in and the blood like pouring down my guitar and there's still little droplets of blood. I'll never sell that guitar. I don't know. Maybe someday I'll be famous. I can eBay it. You can have Paul David's DNA on this guitar. There's something about physically demonstrating your worship. And I know that we live in this culture where, where in church we feel like we have to be constrained. But man, go to a rock show. You think people get weirded out because there's banners in church. You should go, there's this festival in Scotland where they have all these bands come in. They have banners on like 30 foot poles. I gotta say, I don't really want that in church either, but it's kind of cool to look at because I've been hit with enough flags and banners in my life that I, you know, we need to teach spatial awareness. You know, at a festival, there's all kinds of other substances flowing so that if you get hit across the head with a pole, you probably won't even know it. <laughs> We're not at that level of the spirit yet. I'm keenly aware of all the, the ways, places, and times that I've been struck. And we don't have that many flags anymore, is it, you know, but that's fine. But I'm just saying that we have this, this notion that we have surrendered to the voice of the spirit of this age that says that we have to be subdued when we gather together, when actually, when we gather together, this should be our wildest time because it's family. Who, who wakes up on Christmas morning with your kids and your kids are super excited and they're running around screaming and say, okay, everybody got to sit down. Got to do everything decently and orderly. And then the little girl starts going like this. No, stop, no shaking. Sit very still. Okay, now we're going to do a responsive reading. In the days of Caesar Augustus. In the days of Caesar. No, that's not what you do. It's supposed to be wild because your family, you have your, well, that's kingdom family. If you can't, and I say this with fear and trembling, believe me. If you can't let yourself go when we gather here and learn how to war with the sound of your voice here, you're not gonna do it out there. I'm just telling you, you're not gonna do it out there. This is a training ground. Playing soccer, my coach has always said, you will play the way that you practice, so we're gonna practice the way that you play. It was 110% all the time, except when I didn't feel like it. Because some days you just don't feel like it. I'm not saying that's right, but some days you don't feel like it. But the beauty of the body of Christ is the day that you come in and you don't feel like it. Someone to your right and someone to your left is gonna be in it 110%. And now even though Jeremy's up here doing his thing, they're the worship leader that's actually gonna pull you out of your stuff, out of your circumstance and pull you into an atmosphere of their worship. So now you're having an encounter with the heart of God because of the people around you, not because of how you woke up. And that's one of the ways that God has his power perfected in weakness. That is one of the ways that every joint supplies. It's not a charismatic magic trick where God just comes in and he's perfected in his weakness. He will put people around you that are strong in the areas that, that are weak and you're strong in the areas that, are, that they're weak and then we rise up together. The problem is that we rally around everybody's strengths because we identify with the strength. And now, you know, you might have, uh, the last time I looked, which was a lot of years ago, we had 62 Brazilian churches in Framingham alone. Because an evangelist, and I'm not, I'm not knocking Brazilians, I'm saying this is a human condition. Someone who's evangelistically gifted, they plant a church, and so people that just want to do evangelism, they rally around that church. We had John Paul Jackson, he planted this church. The dude was a prophet of a prophet of a, he was the prophet's prophet. Like, he was legit. And so you had this gravitational pull that pro pulled prophetic people from all around the region because churches, by and large, don't know what to do with prophetic people. 
I had an AG pastor call me into his church and, and his church was, I don't know, like five times the size of ours. And he said, Paul, what do you do with the prophets? I was like, you disciple them just like anybody else. Oh, I don't want to do that. And deliverance, I don't want to do that either. What can you do for me? No, I said, send them over. We'll train them up. We'll send them back. I don't want any more crazy people in my church. I'll send them back to you. But this is what we do. We rally around things instead of understanding that there is a five-fold ministry gift to the church that is different personalities, different gifting types. And when we seat those around the table, there will be inherent tension. But it's that tension that will propel the church forward into kingdom order. You don't have to agree with everyone around you to be in unity. You just have to be standing in the same sacred space of the name Jesus, loving him with all of your heart, mind, and your soul and your strength so that when there are disagreements, you can still love each other on the other side of them. That's what it looks like. So when we talk about strength, we're talking about might, power, forcefulness, even personal potential. Forcefully advancing is this kingdom and forceful men lay hold of it. A.W. Tozer said this, now love is both a principle and an emotion. It's a principle and an emotion. We like the emotion of it because the emotion inspires, but the principle will cause us to act in the same way even when we lack the inspiration in our being. Love is both a principle and an emotion. Anybody who's married understands this. It is something both felt and willed. It is capable of almost infinite degrees. Love in the human heart may begin so modestly as to be hardly perceptible and go on to become a raging torrent that sweeps its possessor before it in total helplessness. That's what happened to me. I met Deb for the second time. The first time was like a no-go. The second time I came back to the church my friends were looking at me. They were like, hey, what's, what's up with you? I was like, I am whipped. And they looked at me in amazement because I was like not looking to be married at that time. Like, I don't know what I was looking for, but I was like, I don't need to be married. I was kind of brash and obnoxious. I'm a pale version of my former self because of the iron sharpening iron process of marriage. And y'all should thank her for that. Thank you, Dad. Okay. Later after the service... You rebellious people. <laughs> so we love and worship with all our strength at, at a principle. That, mean, that means by intentional decision. So what does that look like for us? In Mark 9, 33 through 35, it says this. Here's where it gets good. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? Verse 34. But they kept silent, for on the way they had been discussing with one another which one of them was the greatest. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all of your strength? Well, maybe it looks like Jesus in Mark 10, 45, where he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, like a, a, a life, a ransom for many. Maybe loving the Lord your God with all of your strength looks like John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. We always think of this in terms of like literally giving your life, like sacrificing your life, like what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, that's, that's true. But I think in our context, one of the hardest things for us to do is to give our time. We want to be masters of our time because we've given so much of our time to things that are lesser than. I mean, not you. Again, not you people. You guys got it all together. I'm just saying culturally. I can remember when this idea of busyness began to be an idol in our culture that our identity was based in how busy we are. And so you'd ask someone a question and they'd be like, oh, I'm, just, I'm really busy. I'm just so busy. 
Hey, I need help with this. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Hey, do you want to go out for dinner? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. We were, we were kind of talking last week. I was talking with Sarah and Dave, and we were remembering when we had an infant that sometimes even your children can be an excuse to not do the things that you don't really feel like doing in the moment. Because you're like, oh, you know, I have, to, I have to put the baby down. I'm busy. The reality is you make time for what you prioritize in life. And when you prioritize kingdom, that will be the prioritization. I, I don't want to say never because I probably slip sometimes, but with intention, I never say that I'm busy because I understand that my time is allocated toward the things that I prioritize. And so if I'm prioritizing relationship, then I will make time for relationship. Even if I really want to be in my man cave alone with my earbuds on. So maybe greater love has no one than this, than he lay down, that you lay down your life for a friend. Maybe it's giving someone a ride. Maybe it's starting a new life group. Maybe it's coming to the church and putting up new light bulbs so Jeremy's not the one doing it all the time. Maybe it's really beginning to act like this is your house and not my personal business. If you want to be a leader, if you want to excel, if you want to have an impact on the community, if you want to be unified in kingdom family and you want to walk in love, you will serve. There is no path to leadership. There is no way to leadership. And that's not just here. This is a dynamic that is inbred in humanity from creation. That service is the way to leadership. This is why when you're in college, before you ever get to see a C-suite exec, you're going to be an intern. People are like, well, I, well, I got paid for this internship? No, you're going to serve. You know, I, I, I studied music, and I was kind of in this, the music industry thing. The fastest way to, uh, you know, be a recording engineer, which, by the way, would take years, is to go work for free in a studio and hand the engineer coffee. Nobody wants to leave school and go serve someone coffee, but the smart people did it. The fastest way to promotion is to serve a leader's vision. There is no path to leadership. There is no path to prosperity. There is no path without serving. As it is out there, so it is in here. I had someone that wanted to to speak on Sunday mornings a few years ago. The problem was they didn't serve faithfully in any area of the church. Were they gifted? Yes. Could they have done it? I think they probably could have. But I had to, I, it was a straight meeting. This is how you cut down on pastoral meetings. You just call things the way they are. I was like, you haven't served anywhere faithfully in this church. Why would I give you a microphone? Because you said you would. Well, I mean, saying that I would, which I don't, if I said that, I'm sorry, I didn't remember at the time. And I may have said that I may not have. The reality is I saw the gifting, but I didn't see the character to support the gifting. There is no path to leadership in this house without serving. And so if you're not serving somewhere, because we're all called to be leaders. Miles Monroe said, everyone's called to be a leader. We will all lead someone, something at some point in time, and you will become more effective in your leadership gift when you serve. This is not an aberrant concept. You will find this concept. There are books and books and books upon this in leadership sections of, of libraries and of bookstores for business. For us, it begins in the house of God, always. Any other thought, any other idea, any other impression is deception. What do I mean by that? There are people that have separated from the, themselves from the church because they're, they're saying, well, I'm just called to my group of friends who are not believers. And they're going out and they're, they're going to parties and they're drinking and all that. And look, and it's not even about that. I'm just saying they've separated them from the kingdom. It is deception. 
And we can no longer, I don't care if it's your loved one, it's your family. I'm not saying to go beat them, but I'm saying you cannot excuse it because it is not biblical and it is not God. It's deception. Everything begins in the house of God. That's Galatians 6.10. Do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. It begins in the family, the kingdom family. So we love hard, we serve hard, sometimes out of inspiration, sometimes out of inclination, but always out of kingdom principle. Because it's the principle that will lead you to walk in paths of righteousness, even when you don't feel like it. And then when we are faithful, there comes a time when we are compelled to worship with all of our strength out of a response to the immensity of his glory, his goodness, his endless love, his grace, his new mercies that rain down on us from the beauty of his face. And then maybe, just maybe, we will experience the fury, the jubilant exaltation that is in the spirit realm as the people of God collectively release a sound of worship from earth to heaven and thereby bring heaven to earth because God is enthroned. He's inhabited. He inhabits the sound of our praise and our worship. And when that happens, apart from us, apart from any altar call, apart from anything that we could ever say or do, God begins to move on people in a way that we could, we, we might never even imagine because he's in the room. You can almost feel the molecules of the atmosphere, of the air around you begin to crackle. It's, it's like Rice Krispies in the room. It's like crackle pop because the spirit of the living God is releasing his anointing upon the sound and in the sound that we release and then we recognize it's not just what we do in this room there's a connection from Natick Massachusetts to Jesus who is literally seated at the right hand of the father right now and he hears the sound that we release and he releases his presence down onto earth and now we are preparing the way of the Lord in a dry place oh because that voice has been crying out for generations prepare the way of the Lord he's looking which church which people who are you as an individual will you make straight the paths even in the dry place so that he can come and power he can come in his glory can he come and release and eradicate every work of darkness off of people's lives that's a sovereign move of God that I want to be in the middle of And then Job 36, 11 says this, answers the question, what happens when we love the Lord with all of our strength? What happens when we serve out of faithfulness, even when we don't feel like it? it says that those who obey and serve the Lord will have a rich and meaningful life. They will spend their days in prosperity and their years will be rewarded with pleasures. There is a fulfillment that happens in serving one another that doesn't happen anywhere else. And you have to break through. It's like when you first start working out if you've been living a sedentary lifestyle, when you first start working out, like those first week, the older you get, maybe it takes a couple weeks. I just started working out again. I was 10 minutes into cardio and my soul was ready to leave my body. <laughs> Never in my life have I experienced that. I've always just inherently been a little athletic, but I don't know. But it's like that in service. Sometimes when you go from being sedentary into serving, that those first few weeks, it's just hard to create a new pattern in your life. It's hard to get up that maybe half hour earlier to get here on time, to be ready and prepared to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everybody that walks in this door, to show up for a Bible study or even lead one, to show up to a life group or maybe even lead one. There's, it's, it's hard sometimes. But once you break through that initial process, there's a freedom that opens up. There's an unfurling that happens. I promise you this. 
and there is a fulfillment that comes as you learn to prefer one another, to defer to one another, to lift others up, to be the power that's perfecting their weakness. And then he gets the glory. This is not my notes, but how do you serve? Well, lucky for you, we got a QR code on the back of your chair. You can scan that. And there, I believe there's on there, there's even a tab that says, how can I serve? Is that right? Is that on there? I don't worry about it. We'll fix. Text. Oh yeah, not the QR code. Text. Bridge, 90, Bridge Metro West to the number 94,000. And you can let us know who you are and we'll get with you and we'll plug you in. Because I want us all to live this, this concept out of Job. We walk before the face of God. We love Him and we love each other with all of our strength. And then this unfurling of His blessing, His shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, that intact, favorable circumstance of living. That's just what the word means. I'm not making anything up. I'm just saying that's what the Hebrew means. He begins to unfurl over your lives and watch what He does. That's the path to promotion. It's to lift others up through your service to them. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, breathe and move. Shalom. 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 open our hearts, open our minds. Would you, God, make this a sovereign moment? We can mark on the calendar, this is the day of transformation. This is the day that I, by the hand of the Lord, I went from one level of glory to another level of glory in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the name of Jesus, before the beauty of the light of his face. Let this be that time. If you're here, you're online, you don't know this Jesus. You don't know him like this. You really believe this stuff. I want to introduce you right now. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. But the life that comes on the other end of it, man, having the slate wiped clean, being freed from any law of sin and death and your welcomed into the law of life and according to Romans 8 15 he gives you the spirit of adoption that means that you belong there's a space that you fit there's a space where you belong doesn't matter how quirky you are how outside the camp you feel he has a place and a space for you but the reconciliation peace he wants to connect you to the father's heart but it only comes through the cross it only comes through walking through that process of saying yes to Jesus. And then he will work with people in your life and he will train you and disciple you in an order that he sees fit. Dismantling old ways of thinking and giving you a new identity. It's all available to you through the cross of Christ, through this thing that we call salvation this process of making you completely new right now. So I'm going to call the ministry team up. We're going to open up the altar space if you need a breakthrough in your life. We have teams to my right and to my left. If we're going to pray a prayer in a second. If you're receiving Christ for the first time or rededicating your life, we want you to come. If you need physical healing, we are like pit bulls on meat against the works of darkness. We want to break that stuff off of you right now and we uh, you're going to start hearing testimonies because God is he's moving healings are popping transformation is happening it's on guys it's on but this is your moment for salvation this is that time and so I just we're all going to pray together so let's do this let's do business with God before we do anything else so repeat after me God I want to know you I accept your gift of life to me 
I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and turn toward your way. Would you reconnect me to my destiny, to my identity, through your gift of life? And would you please reveal your love to me now? And I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name. how we're going to close. The altar is open. I believe there's some coffee in the back. There's good coffee. It's not church coffee. We're just changing the, the what? Uh, online ministry is open. So we, if you're online, you need prayer. We have uh, teams online ready for you right now. So you can see the QR code or whatever they got on the screen. You can text all that stuff. It's available. They'll put that up there for you. We want to pray for you. If your kids are in the classes, you have a few minutes just to sit and marinate, come and receive prayer, and then go retrieve your kids. I just say the Lord bless, keep, guard you. His face is shining upon you right now as a father beams with pride over his infant child. And he's bestowing upon you fresh robes of shalom and pouring out upon you a peace that is beyond your intellectual capacity to comprehend because his kingdom has come upon you and his will is at work within you. So I speak blessing, blessing, blessing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit who is holy. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.